Good morning, and welcome back to the Redbeard Outdoors podcast. This is Jonathan here with Redbeard Outdoors, and today you might hear some noise in the background. I'm doing the recording outside for our Sunday sit-down edition, and just trying something new. Just wanted to see how this turns out and hoping it'll go well, (laughs) but it's just a beautiful morning. It's not hot. It's not cold. Uh, you can hear the birds chirping in the background. It's just a nice day. So wanted to wanted to record outside today. So welcome to all those who may be new to listening, and hopefully you gain something from this podcast. And for those that have been faithfully listening in, I truly appreciate your support and hope that I can continue to earn your your attention and time as the days go on and as more podcasts are brought to fruition. So today, uh, the Sunday sit-down edition is going to be a little bit longer than our Thursday thoughts, and I just kind of wanted to talk about my personal experience here in the last, it's been almost a month, um, September's coming to an end, and the archery elk season is over for the general, uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about uh, what my plans are with that and and why um, I count this season, even though there were many failures overall, I feel like I've learned a lot. And that's what I wanted to talk today about was, was failure and what I learned in the, the 12 days that I was out in the elk woods, is what I'll call it, but basically habitat that was rich for elk and uh, what I learned about the animals, what I learned about me, and just my experience in general. So if you learn something from this and something that can be applied to to your life, please please share with others. I uh, just want to let people know that failure isn't final. You can learn from it. And also, I just want people to live better lives and to have successful lives and to recognize that Uh, Taking a chance and doing something new can be fun and exciting. And it's a big part of this idea that I've come up with. And anyway, just want people to share that. So today I just want to start with this quote from Michael Jordan where he says, and we all know Michael Jordan, even if you're not huge into basketball, you know he was an extremely successful athlete. He's remained successful in his life. Um, even after his basketball career. But he says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. I find that extremely interesting because... uh, well, applying it to, to my recent experience here, I was up in the mountains outside of cell phone range for for 12 days chasing these majestic beasts that are known as elk. And the bulls can get well over 700 pounds and have these sharp things on the end of their head uh, called antlers. And 
they do these amazing, amazing things and lives in some of the most tough terrain and survive. And not only survive, but do they thrive. And my experience with that uh, during this last month was, it was amazing. It was the first time I've ever archery elk hunted. And I've been preparing for this for the last year. I got my first bow a little over a year ago, the beginning of September of 2020. And I told myself that I would shoot every single day. I would hone my craft in in that aspect and um, I would train. I changed the way that I trained. And I can talk a little bit about that as far as in the gym. I lost more weight than I had previously. I dialed in some of my gear and uh, took courses. I went to a camp and met new people. And overall, this last year has been almost an obsession with elk hunting. Now, obviously, other things in my life improved as well as a side effect of what I was focusing on, but this last year has been mainly focused on that. And uh, so we'll just start with when I got my bow. Uh, in it was I want to say it was September 2020 is when I got my bow, and I started shooting every day. Uh, at first, the bow was a, had a little bit too much poundage, and so I was able to turn it down and I practiced I told myself 30 reps a day at least if not more and those 30 reps included sitting on my butt kneeling and standing so that I could work the proper technique and muscles to build them up so that I could turn my bow poundage back up to where I wanted it so that I could be in my opinion, more ethical hunter and have a a better shot. So I did that. It was sore day in, day out. But it was a good sore. It was the muscle sore. It wasn't a pain. It was just um, my, my shoulders were sore. My core was sore. And uh, I just continued and pushed through it. Then I got to a point where I felt comfortable with that draw weight. I think it was about two weeks and I went back in and I had them turn it back up to the full poundage of uh, it doesn't matter what the poundage is but um, back up to where I wanted it to be and I again continued the 30 reps a day and throughout the last year I've changed it between 30 reps a day to 10 dedicated minutes to where I'm not just repping things out anymore I'm more focused on my shot process to where my shot process was, it was about as dialed in as I felt like I could get it in that amount of time with kind of training myself and videoing myself and uh, sending those videos off to certain people that I trusted their opinion on. And it all turned out pretty well. I was hitting pretty consistently. I was more than just within a paper plate. And... uh my arrows were constantly touching. I was constantly having to refletch. And so I felt really good. I'd gotten as far as archery is concerned to where I wanted to be um, comfortable. And I'd shot, done un, uh, under duress uh, shooting and 
Um, sometimes during my training, I would do push-ups or burpees or running, trying to imitate, which you I found out really quickly you can't really imitate uh, the feeling of hunting an animal and being in that moment where you're about to shoot. And I'll go into that a little bit later. Another thing that I changed throughout this last year was my training uh, and my nutrition. My nutrition, um, basically, I ended up losing a total of 45 pounds over the course of 2020 and into 2021. And I was able to maintain having lost those 45 pounds, which was significant for me. And as I hiked and carried weight, I noticed a huge difference in my my hip flexors, my knees, my back, and even just sitting at work, I noticed a huge difference on my lower back. Uh, I then, with training, incorporated stretching every single day, at least 10 minutes of some sort of stretching, generally had to do with my my legs, lower back, um, hip flexors area, and I always incorporated uh, every other day, I'd incorporate core, specifically, not just incorporating in my lifting, but uh, having specific repetitions of core exercises. And then also, the other days that I didn't do core, I would do very specifically band work on my shoulders to make sure that my so- shoulders stayed healthy. Again, prepare rather than having to repair, right? You don't want to get ready for this competition or in, in in my case this hunting experience and then a week or two weeks before you injure your shoulder and you can't shoot your bow so change that in my training um, i incorporated also uh, when it was posterior chain opportunities which includes your uh, your rear delts uh, which are your the rear portion of your shoulder muscles the quads were I felt a little overtrained so I would double the training up on my hamstrings my glutes and my back all of those muscles I made sure to do twice as many sets per each of those muscle groups than I did for my uh, front side of those so chest um, biceps quads those sorts of muscles that a lot of people tend to focus on because you can see those in the mirror they're easier to remember but really the workhorses of your body are your posterior chain muscles and so i decided to change that up and see if that helped at all so all of that happened over the course of a year now again this is a longer process this isn't one of those 30-day challenges and see how it goes this was a year-long process Uh, and then with going to the camp which again I'd highly recommend if you're into elk hunting at all you should attend one of Dan Staten's elk shaped camps where they go over not just shooting your bow not just where to shoot an animal but he incorporates shooting under duress he incorporates financial aspects so that you don't leave your family stranded for the time that you're out hunting and many other things that are included in that course such as e-scouting so that you don't go out in the woods and just blindly pick a spot and hope that there's elk or the animal that you're looking for Uh, he also incorporates goal setting 
incorporates physical fitness to it, your nutrition, and just being a well-rounded individual and not just being solely focused on hunting. Being a better father, husband, friend, whatever it may be, that the roles that you play in your life. So anyway, I attended one of those camps in March, uh, met some really great people, and especially gained lots of knowledge. And then I incorporated that knowledge into my planning for the trip that I was going to be going on in September. So all of that culminated in September rolling around, and September 1st through the 4th, I was with a buddy of mine named Clint and one of his friends named Evan. And so starting on the 1st, we all went up in this area that we had scouted out. And while we were up in this area, we had some good experience. We saw some some sign, elk sign, and we hiked quite a few miles. And then we came and did lunch, and we went back to a different area in the same general vicinity, but in, in a different area than we had previously gone in the morning. And we split up, and I picked a spot, and I hiked around in that area for a little bit, looked for sign, let out a few bugles, let out a few calls, didn't hear anything, and I was getting ready to move spots. I was, I went and used the restroom, not that you care about that, (laughs) but I figured I was moving spots, so I didn't care about blowing out the area with my scent, and so uh use use the restroom and I was packing things up and I had a GoPro on my head and you can see this in the video I didn't see this elk come up and it's crazy to me how quiet they can be they were there again the cows can be 400 500 pounds the bulls can be 700 plus and this guy was a little spike which means he just had one little antler coming off of each side they hadn't branched off yet he was a young guy but he came in so silently and I didn't I didn't hear him I didn't see him and then I turned around because I saw a kind of out of the corner of my eye this tan body going through the trees and my heart rate immediately spiked and I had this I don't even know how to explain it. it. It was almost as though this tunnel vision was starting to form. Like you can just, I could see the, the, it was almost like horse blinders were being put on slowly from the outside going inward. Um, I had this, just this black kind of forming where it was a, uh, it was like a tunnel. And so I drew my bow um, after I'd ranged a couple spots, I drew my bow and he walked into one of these clearings and he was giving me a frontal shot, which isn't, it's not the best. I, I didn't want that to be my first shot on an elk because I didn't want to injure them. I, I wanted it to be a clean, ethical shot uh, and not cause any injury. That was at 23 yards. He came out and I was at full draw, holding my bow back, and he just stared at me for what seemed like forever. Going back to the video, it was about 20 seconds, 20 to 30 seconds. And then he turns around 
and start side-hilling towards my left. And so I follow him through the trees. There's no shot, no shot, no shot. And then he comes out into the spot where the bottom portion of his vitals, kind of like the brisket area, um, but the bottom portion of his vitals is covered by a tree. And I could see the mid of his vitals up to his back. I could see his face. I could see the rest of his body. And I had ranged that spot previously to be about 25 yards. So with a bow sight, you put, at least with a compound bow, you put the sight on, that you sit, there's a pin that you put on the spot where you're wanting to, to shoot on the animal. And then the arrow goes to that spot, depending on the yardage. So I put where I, between the 20 and 30 pin, where I wanted my arrow to go. And I walked through my process this time because I had noticed the tunnel vision coming in. I took a few breaths as he was walking to the left and I started talking myself through the process of here we go or here I go and then pull, pull, pull and then the arrow goes off and all I hear was this loud smack and it wasn't, it wasn't the animal. I'd hit the tree in front of it. It ricocheted off the tree. And... I mean, my first thought was, oh, maybe it ricocheted off, and then it hit him, and see it bolted, and maybe, you know, he ran off a little ways and stopped, and I couldn't tell if it was was blood on his side or if it was part of his dark brown fur. So I waited for a little bit, calmed myself down. It's funny to go back and listen to the video because you can see how hard I was breathing, and it's it's a miracle that my breathing alone didn't spook him. But anyway, I marked the spot where I was standing when I shot. I went down, and I I couldn't figure out why I had missed. I didn't see any blood. It was getting dark, so I went back to meet Clint and Evan, told them the news, the good and bad, and that I wasn't sure. And they immediately jumped into action and said, wow, okay, we're going to go check it out. So we went back with our headlamps, and I had Clint stand where, where the spike was. And I stood where I was shooting, and I put my rangefinder on him, and it ended up being about 45 yards. So I was about 20 yards short of where this bull was standing. And I say bull, it was a spike, but a young bull. And that makes the world of difference with a, with a, a bow. I, I can't have, I don't know the exact comparison to what a rifle would be at that, but the drop is... It, it's not huge, but it's enough that it could make a difference, especially if there's brush, the tree that was in front of him. So anyway, we didn't find any blood, didn't recover the arrow. It went off into Neverland and uh, on to the next day. Of course, I was kicking myself for that. So throughout the next couple days, we heard a couple bugles. I'm just kind of fast-forwarding through this. I might go into more detail later, but basically the the gist of it was through the rest of until the 4th, we had a great time up in the mountains. Lots of miles put on the boots. Lots of hearing bugles. Lots of chasing bugles. uh, Hearing cows. Some elk were seen. Lots of fresh sign. We knew they were in there, but we could never close the deal. 
Now, some people that I've heard of anyway, I don't, I don't know them personally, but I've heard that people get down when they miss a shot on an animal. And I can understand that. I mean, the, the feeling of failing, going back to the, the idea of failure, the feeling of, of, of failure and missing that shot was incredible. I felt that I had this whole last year of training I should have known better. I made a rookie mistake. I didn't let my bow down and rearrange him before I shot. I assumed I knew where he was. And that was such a rookie mistake on my end. Along with that, um, I had had many misses before on doe. I say many. I would missed twice on, on a doe earlier this season before I did have success with a doe. Um, just the week before I went out uh, elk hunting. And so I knew that I wasn't the perfect shot when it came to archery. But I had confidence in my, in my process. After that day, I made it a goal that I would know the range and not have any doubt in my mind before I made a shot again on an elk, or any animal for that matter. And so I set some firm goals in my mind after September 1st that within X amount of yards would be my only shot range. I would not shoot past that, no matter how beautiful and big the bull may have been. Also, I told myself that if I didn't have time to range, I didn't have time to shoot. And I kept repeating those two things in my head as I would go out every morning before going elk hunting sorry apparently my neighbor's dog feels like he needs to wake up the neighborhood (laughs) um anyway so i started repeating those those rules to myself and um again we had some good experiences but not not able to close the deal during those first four days and then i came back out on the from the 15th through the 22nd of september and just an amazing experience again. And I'm, I'm, I took plenty of pictures, took uh, lots of videos, and had an amazing experience. Got to watch the, the aspens change color, which is always one of my favorite times of year. I love the spring and I love the fall because there's constant change as you're transitioning into a new season. Um, and anyway, so... On the 15th, I went out with a buddy of mine that uh, I'd, I'd met on my LDS mission down in Mexico and ran into a cow moose, had that great experience, and then also uh, was able to find lots of fresh sign, found a few wallows, some new meadows that I may want to check out, check out in the future, and put on a few miles again. Uh, I was out. In, from before sunrise until after sunset, every single day that I was out in the mountains. So, got very comfortable with being out by myself before I would get back to the group. I uh, got very comfortable with my thoughts, and I wrote quite a few things down as to how I could be a better husband, a better father when I came back. All of these things are extremely important. Because when you're out there for 
an extended period of time with no movement. All you hear is maybe some squirrels chattering or maybe some deer walk by, which happened to me a couple of times. Um, it's becomes, I mean, you're alone with your thoughts. And when it's kind of in the middle of the day and there's not any elk activity and you're hunting elk, or maybe even at night when you're walking back uh, and there's no activity, you're alone with your thoughts. And a lot of these things come up as to uh, what can I do better? How can I be a better person? And so uh, I just jotted a few of those things down throughout the, the time that I was hiking or sitting and waiting for the next, uh, the next moment to, to come about. So that was the first, the first day back. Um, then I ran into camp super late to meet up with Clint and Evan again to hunt with them for a day before uh, Brent and his brother Kenny and Kyle showed up the following day. So get into camp super late. And uh, it was probably about 2 o'clock before I got to bed. They had texted me that they were going to be sleeping in the next morning because there wasn't a lot of activity during the morning time and that they were planning on doing, uh, getting to their spots in the kind of mid-morning and hiking throughout the day and then having a kind of an evening hunt as well. And I just told myself, well, if I'm out here, I'm going to be up here. I'm going to get up and I'm going to be up before sunrise. So I got up right before sunrise and I just said, you know, I'm going to go glass this one hillside. I don't know why I had that feeling, because uh, uh, we hadn't seen anything on that hillside except for cows, and we called them moo cows because there's elk cows and there's cow cows, <laughs> so we'd call them moo cows. So I drive down to this area, um, no one else is awake at camp, and I start glassing, and I see two bulls and five cows, and I was shocked to be honest with you i hadn't other than the spike i hadn't seen an uh, like a more mature bull the entire time i was up here i'd heard them at least what i thought was a more mature bull um, bugling but i hadn't seen one let alone a small herd and so i got super excited um, and then i i drove up to where i thought they were feeding towards got my pack on got out of my crocs put my boots on and headed up the mountain to cut them off. At least that was the plan. And so I got up to the spot. I was hiking back towards them a little bit and just trying to listen. And again, these things are so quiet. I don't know how they can be so quiet. And did a few cow calls, let out a few bugles, trying to make myself sound like a like an elk, and I didn't hear anything. I'm assuming they went into that super thick stuff and they bedded down because I just I was amazed they just disappeared they were like mountain ghosts they just went away <laughs> and uh, anyway so again went and had some lunch on the mountain and moved areas that evening and uh, I was a little discouraged but not too bad I was excited for getting out and hopefully finding some in the evening and uh, having a good good afternoon sit and so hiked up to my area sat for a little bit called for a little bit again uh, heard a few bugles off in the distance uh, 
but nothing too too intense or crazy and nothing that made me think that they were fired up and, and ready to play. So uh, the evening ended up with another another day of a tag not being punched. And so that evening, met up with Brent, Kenny, and Kyle, and we hung out for a little bit, talked a little bit about the area and and what we were wanting to do. And uh, basically enjoyed being together, hanging out, and, and catching up a little bit. And we picked some new areas. We went up in the morning and uh, and tried to cure some things and, and hunt in different spots. And again, another day that went without too much success. So that was a little frustrating. That was, uh, I want to say that was, that would have been Friday. Then Saturday rolls around, and um, again, we pick our areas. We went up to the spot, and we had some really good plans. We were super excited for them. Uh, the The morning was pretty uneventful, but then the evening came around, and, and uh, I probably dehydrated and underfed and hadn't slept much so I was kind of getting a little bit of a headache and I found this this blind that was by a wallow and didn't hear any activity going on uh didn't see any super fresh sign but I knew it was a good spot to be at so I found this little blind that had been built up by I guess previous people that had been in there and uh, it was a bunch of sticks and pretty well surrounded almost like a like a half-built cabin and so I laid down took a little nap woke up to a chipmunk trying to get into my bag to get my snacks and uh and sat that that evening at this wallow almost 30 minutes before sunset i heard this bugle up kind of on the hillside a little bit in this area there was quite a few hunters in there so i was like oh it kind of sounds pretty normal uh and it's probably a hunter so i called back didn't hear anything and then Within 30 seconds, this bugle had moved to like halfway around the bowl and bugled again. And I said, hold on. If that was a person, more than likely would have heard crashing if they were moving that fast. And I, I was a little shocked that they had gotten around that fast. So I bugled again, didn't hear anything, and then got to the other side of the bowl within another minute and this is a pretty big bowl so i'm sitting here thinking man that this has to be an elk i didn't want to move in on him i thought maybe he was kind of trying to catch the wind to see if it was safe to come into the water and so i bugled again he bugled back and we talked a little bit i say talked but bugled for a little bit and then he got really quiet and i was like oh he's gonna come in i was getting ready i was super excited and with about 15 more minutes left of of daylight so this was after sunset officially, but uh, still within shooter's light. He was he had kind of worked his way around the spur to another portion of the mountain and moving away from me, basically. So again, that kept my spirits up. That there were elk there, they were just being quiet and not very cooperative. Definitely not providing shot opportunities, and I was still blown away by how quiet they can move like I can't describe to you guys 
if you didn't see them or hear a bugle, you wouldn't know they were there. You don't hear crunching, but every time I took a step, you did. (laughs) It just blew my mind. It was a great experience. So then that Saturday, we go up, and I was up with Kenny. We found the saddle that turned out to be a good transition spot for him. But, of course, that morning they weren't transitioning anywhere across that mountain. And so we didn't see any, we didn't see any elk, but we saw plenty of sign and uh, great game trails going in and out of there. On the way out uh, of that specific area, we found two does, and we watched them for a little bit. Again, the wildlife was up there. They were just not being very cooperative, which is very typical, right? And so, obviously, they, that's the reason why they survive, because they know what they're doing. So then we moved spots, and the rain had come in, so a couple of my other hunting buddies didn't really want to head back out because it was cold and wet. At that point, I think it was in the low 40s, and, and it had just rained. So I moved to go check out another area and to sit for the evening. And I was hiking through this area. There was fresh sign. Again, tracks, scat. Uh, There were rubs that were within this season. Um, Probably not within the last couple days, but within this season. So there were bulls in there at one point. And uh, I went to this area over some deadfall and um, hung out for a little bit. But I didn't hear anything. No bugle responses. I bugled once and nothing back. And a couple cow calls, nothing. So... But it looked like a a good area. Also didn't see any other hunters, which is always a good sign. You want to stay away from them. So the next morning we planned to split up into two teams. Now this was going to be Sunday morning. We split up into two teams. We went on either side of the trail and we picked out our spots. And we were kind of hiking through there, looking for sign, looking for beds, uh, sitting for a certain amount of time here and there. And... uh, we had agreed to turn our radios on at 10.30 to check in. And so I was working my way towards Kenny. This was probably around 10 o'clock. And uh, ran into a four-point buck that looked super awesome. He was uh, very, he had good mass on his antlers. He was a big-bodied buck. Watched him for a little bit until he spooked and ran off. He caught my wind and, and bolted. And so I was working my way up to Kenny, turned the radios on at 10.30. and. I was checking in with him just to make sure we were we were heading in the right direction. And then Brent comes on and says, hey, guys, you ready for heavy packs? And I was like, okay, you're joking, right? Because that had been kind of the joke. Every once in a while someone would throw that out there like, hey, good news is, you know, it's a great day or whatever. And the bad news is you got heavy packs. And you know, it's kind of a joke. So at this point I was like, you're kidding, right? And I could kind of tell there's something different. He's like, no, I just shot a cow, an elk cow, at 20 yards. And I was super excited for him. You forget everything, especially when you're hunting with your friends. You forget everything about your own hunt. When they have success, you drop it, and you run to go help them clean the animal and pack it off the mountain because you're just excited that someone else had success. And so uh, I run up the hill about a mile and a half, two miles, um, through some deadfall and nasty stuff, got to my truck after climbing over uh, some rocks and a a little bit of a rock slide and uh, hustled down to, it it turned out that the the elk had actually passed away and died within half a mile of the road. And so I was able to pull off, hike up really quick, help them clean the animal, 
we heard the story, which was awesome, but uh, we're thinking that someone had bumped this herd because he said she was on high alert when he saw her, and, but there were no bulls with her, which isn't typical for this time of year. This type of year, this time of year, they're usually in their breeding season. The bulls have quite a few cows, and they're always together. So we're thinking another hunter might have bumped this herd, and she was just slowing down as he saw her. And he even said, you know, if I hadn't seen movement from this squirrel, I wouldn't have even been looking up because they had, they had been sitting down to kind of have a snack and sit until we were turning on our radios uh, at about 10 o'clock. And he, he saw her fur above this tree, this, this deadfall that, had, that she was walking past, and, and she just happened to step out in front of him at 20 yards. That's how it goes, honestly. That's what I've noticed about, especially with elk, uh, it can go from zero to 100 real quick. And and so within, he said, within five minutes, if that, of them sitting down, she had walked out in front of him. He shot her, and we were packing out meat. So we were excited. We Our hopes were revived. We were ready to go back out the next day, or that evening, sorry, and, and get after it. We were definitely going to find a bull. We were going to find a herd, and all of us were going to tag out, you know, all those exciting things. And... That evening, we go back out, and uh, that's not exactly what happened. <laughs> so that evening, um, we went back out and uh, just scouted some new areas. Um, and Kenny was getting ready to go home, and so anyway, we, we just found some great areas to go out, and uh, we were excited for the next day at that point. Um, didn't hear any elk, didn't see any elk, but we saw a lot of fresh sign and, and again, got excited for, for the next day. So then the next day rolls around bright and early Monday and, uh, we go out and again, nothing, (laughs) just no, no sounds, no seeing them, nothing. It just blew my mind. Because again, we had just come off a high of of, Bri- of Brent having success, and now we're back at square one. <laughs> and again, we're seeing the sign everywhere, fresh and old. They're in there, but they're not talking. And it was so frustrating. But it is what it is. So we went in, scouted the area a little bit more, did a couple sets in certain areas. Again, scouted some more, and nothing. So uh, we went back and, and helped Kenny get his stuff together, and he he rolled out a camp, and uh, and then we went back out and, and hit another area in the evening. And again, we didn't hear anything, didn't see anything. And... At that point, I was pretty discouraged. This was Monday night, so I had Tuesday and Wednesday left. And uh, I felt homesick. And I can tell you, I, I, didn't, I don't get homesick. I served a mission. I went to Mexico City. And I love my family, but I was excited to be there the entire two years. I didn't miss home. I was excited to be off on my own, doing my own thing. But I genuinely was feeling homesick on Monday night 
uh, I was able to to head and get some signal out of the area a little bit, and I called my wife and talked to her and the kids and just checked in with them, and was kind of rejuvenated. Got a good night's sleep, and I was back at it 4.30 the next morning. So, again, we picked a different spot. You know, it, you know, the theme of this is, you know, the fact that if we're not finding elk, we're leaving those areas, and we're not going to keep hitting them over and over and over again, right? So, went to a different area. I sat for a while and kind of nodded off at, I want to say it was around 11 o'clock. I woke up to get ready to move spots again, and uh, I guess I had sat still long enough that um, this doe and this fawn came up, and I was getting excited because I saw kind of tannish through the trees, and uh, I turned my, my GoPro on, and I was getting the ranges as to where they might walk out, and getting my arrow knocked and everything, and, and then a doe and a fawn walk out. And I was like, okay, so I just put my bow down, and it was a pretty cool experience to sit there for about, it was almost 10 minutes where they were just walking around the deadfall, and every once in a while the mom would pop her nose up, and she probably caught a little bit of my wind, but I was sitting still enough that she, she didn't recognize that I was there. And so that was, to me, that was a pretty cool experience, to, to watch them interact with each other, uh, to watch them interact with, again, the deadfall, which is just, it's like doing lunges, all day as you're hiking through this deadfall, climbing over trees and then climbing under other trees. And it's crazy, but to see them working through that so easily, just basically gliding over it, that was pretty cool. So anyway, that that uh, that morning, we're done with the morning hunt, and so I picked a new area that I was going to be and made it back to my truck, had some lunch as I was moving areas, and had been texting with Clint and our friend Lyle had come up and I knew I was going to be camping with him in the evening, but I wasn't heading over to hunt with him for the evening. I was going to try this one last area that was probably one of the furthest areas away from our camp that I had gone to. And I go up this old forest service road, so it was nice hiking, but there were no vehicles allowed. And I don't even know if I would take a bike up there, to be honest with you. Um, but it was a pretty good trail. So I, I was hiking up, hiking up. And within a mile and a half of uh, the road, um, I just let out a bugle just because I was getting into some thick things as far as trees and bushes, and I didn't want to spook anything. So I let out a bugle, didn't hear anything for, sat there for about two or three minutes, and decided to continue on. And so I continued on, and within five minutes of me continuing with what I was doing as far as the hike was concerned and getting my way through the brush, I heard this, it wasn't a bugle, but it was a very deep, raspy grunt chuckle is what they call it. And if you don't know what that is, go look it up on YouTube, an elk grunt chuckle. And I sat there kind of in shock. I was like, oh my gosh, this, this thing is so close. I could, I could literally feel how deep this raspy grunt chuckle was. And so I was getting kind of set up, and I, I called again. And rookie mistake, I called and sat in the same spot. I didn't move spots. Now, if you don't know much about elk, they can pinpoint you better than anything else I know 
just from where you called from. Or the last place they heard some sound, they will recognize it, and they, it's like a GPS locator. Drop the pin right where you were, and they come to you. They know where you are. And if I had been thinking and not had my little rookie mistake, but had had some experience before, even though I'd been taught these things, I'd heard them on the course, you know, when you get in that moment, your blood's pumping, you're excited, and I was ready to see an elk. So I didn't move. Called again, didn't hear anything, and I'm kind of looking around, and I see this shadow through the trees. Again, didn't hear a thing. And then I see brown. And I got so excited, because this was maybe 30 yards away from me. My wind was good. I wasn't worried about him busting. And I kind of squatted down a little bit just to see, you know, was it a cow? Was it a bull? And it was a five-point. Now, he looked a little skinny, so he might have been one of the satellite bulls, which is kind of ones that hangs out on the outside of the herd. But he was there, and I got to watch him. And then I guess the wind swirled a little bit. He didn't move in any closer. Again, did not make a sound. He just stuck his nose up in the air, probably got a whiff of me, turned around, and just walked off. No running, no crashing. Just walked off. Again, blew my mind how quiet it could be. But that was such an amazing experience. I had no shot available because the branches were just too thick, and I just got to watch him walk away. So I go and I find a meadow, find a wallow, a little stream, great area for them to kind of bed down, have some water, and I sat there for a while. Didn't hear a peep the rest of the night. Man, I was so frustrated. I won't, I won't lie. I was extremely frustrated. Walk back out. Catch up to Clinton Lyle at their camp. We make the plan for the next morning. And I'm kind of discouraged. But at the same time, like, it was a super great experience. So I was excited at the same time. Still hadn't punched a tag. We're going to the last day of the general season. For archery and I was just bound and determined the next day was going to be the day so instead of going back up to the spot that I had been at the night before where I'd heard that the the bull and I'd, I'd seen a bull uh, I went up with Clint and Lyle and it did not disappoint we got to this area that and I have never heard in person anyway a bugle fest like this this was extremely exciting for me so we get into this bowl that was maybe half a mile off of the road and immediately I start hearing these bugles and there was four maybe five bulls in this in this bowl and they were just bugling away and we didn't have to say or do anything we were just hiking in and listening to these majestic forest creatures uh, do their thing and just making the noises that they wanted to make. So we kind of creep up on them, get to our spots where I feel like I was maybe 150, 200 yards away from one of the ones that I called Big Boy because he had this deep, raspy bugle that you could just tell. It seemed like he's very mature, had been around for years. <clears throat> so we get up there and, and we sit for a little bit and then these hunters come in. And I don't mind because I know I'm on public land. I don't mind being around other hunters. 
I know in public land, that's that's kind of one of the things is that you run into a lot of hunters. So, uh, but they came in and they started just immediately doing these horrible cow sounds that weren't even like you could just tell they were fake, and they weren't even wait. They weren't doing like little sets of four or five. Like they were just like meow 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 meow, and so they ended up going off. And and off and off and off and I was just I was so annoyed at that point because again I don't mind sharing public land with other people but don't don't be that person that comes in and just busts up the party because you think your way is the best when uh, when it's obviously not because they're already bugling by themselves right so we go in and we sit and the, we notice that the bulls just start moving up and up and up and up the mountain and. Uh, eventually bed down kind of higher up towards the ridge so i picked a spot and and i was just sitting there kind of listening and looking at the map and figuring out what i wanted to do to move in on these elk and there really wasn't a good position with the way the wind was going and and how nasty everything around the bowl was so we decided to back out and make a plan for the afternoon based on the wind and how things were going to be moving and knowing that these bulls were going to move back down in the evening, uh, that like they had been doing the last couple of days, according to to Clint and Lyle, and they would get fired up in the evening, and we would make it happen that evening. So we go back, uh, get everything packed up because we knew we'd be driving home late after the evening hunt, and so we uh, we come back up at around twelve, twelve thirty. And we make these big loops to go up behind the mountain and come up on top of the ridge so that our wind was good for the evening. And again, we sit for a little while and didn't hear anything and no, no bugles, no cows, no nothing. So I, I had sat for about an hour and a half, two hours, and I started to doze off after I had some water and, and snacks and things were co- cooling off a little bit. And I woke up to <laughs> the sound of footsteps and being sniffed <laughs> and so within five feet not yards but five feet away from me this doe had snuck up behind me and was sniffing me <laughs> probably thought I was I was dead meat by the time that because uh, I hadn't showered in over a week at this point and uh, anyway so I, I woke up kind of turned around slowly because i was hoping that they were they were elk and uh, of course they were two does and that became the joke that if i want to ever go deer hunting i just need to fall asleep and they'll walk right up on me right so anyway they walked around me for about 10 minutes i got some cool videos and pictures and i even started whispering to them and telling them that they need to bring their elk buddies up to me <laughs> and uh just trying everything at that point so then I'm, you know, packing up my stuff when when these uh, two does walked off, and and then I hear some cracking over off in the distance, and I'm like, oh, here we go. And I see brown through the trees, and I was like, okay, well, deer at this point are, they're all grayed out, they've lost their summer coats, and uh, the deer had left, they hadn't busted, so it was safe to say that animals were, they knew that it was okay to walk through here, there wasn't any threat. So I knock an arrow, get my release on my bow, and start ranging things around where I was thinking these elk were going to walk out. And so I just hear them. They're getting closer and closer, and I'm getting super excited. And then I see an orange hat, and I see another orange hat, and then I see an orange vest. 
and an orange hat. And I had forgotten that this was the youth rifle hunt that it's happened to overlap with uh, the archery hunt for some reason. And so the guy felt really bad. I went over and talked to him and uh, he felt bad that, you know, it was my last day and he had kind of busted out that area. But I was like, oh, no biggie. I was planning on moving anyway. So I head down the super steep, nasty stuff. And... Uh, basically sat about halfway down where my wind was still good. There was a draw uh, right at the bottom of this this hillside, and I figured it was a good spot. The elk were going to move right down this draw, and I was going to get a shot. That was what I envisioned in my head. Not 10 minutes into sitting there, I hear some crashing coming down, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm super excited. And then again, I see orange hats. I was so ticked at this point because I was like, man, these these either have to be the most clumsy human beings in the world or they're doing this on purpose to bust out animals. But it felt like and sounded like they were breaking every single stick on the way down. <clears throat> it was pretty ridiculous and almost over-exaggeration at this point, what they were doing. So I was. this was about an hour and a half before last light and uh, I was getting pretty discouraged. Again, I, I, I do understand public hunting is public hunting, but I would think that, especially other bow hunters, would understand the, the need to be quiet, to check your wind, and to not blow things out with horrible calling techniques. But maybe that's just me hoping that people have common sense. I don't know. Anyway, so they blew out that draw pretty much, I thought, and so I just sat there, and and me being who I am, I, I was getting frustrated, and then I realized I'm not going to ruin the last day of my hunt being frustrated. So I decided to say a prayer. I had this feeling that I need to sit in this spot until, until shooter's light, so 30 minutes after sunset. And I said, oh, that's just me being hopeful. Like It's not going to be like the does that sneak up on me because I've been sitting here for two hours. So I decided I made I made a point that at sunset, official sunset, I'd start heading down the mountain and cross the draw and work my way through the deadfall about a mile and a half back to back to the truck, or maybe two miles back to the truck. And so I sat there, sunset came around, and I heard some soft cow calls near the near the upper part of the mountain and so I just thought, well they're still up there. They're not coming down because they know it's been blown out. So I start working down, and I get through some deadfall, and we're at about 15 minutes left before, before light, shooter's light. This is after sunset. There's still some light in the sky. And I hear on the hillside where I was just sitting, uh, what I thought, I was like, oh, it's another stupid squirrel. You get tired of hearing those things after being out there for so long. But I look over, and in the one little clearing, I see a big brown body just slowly moving across the mountain. <laughs> and I just kind of smiled at myself. I just said, you know what? At this point, I've got literally 15 minutes left of my general archery season. I don't care if this thing hears me because I need to make my butt back up that mountain as fast as I can. So I run back up to where he's kind of side hilling to. I'm across the draw. I do some ranging. It's about 50 yards, and I told myself what my range was, and that was within my range. 
And so I got my bow sight dialed in, got my arrow knocked, got my release on, and I'm just waiting for him to come out. And I hear him slowly making his way across. And then he stops. And I see his, he's a mature five point. And he's looking my direction. I can see his head and his antlers, but his body's covered by an entire evergreen tree. And all I needed to do was take one or two more steps more to the right, and I would have had that shot. Now, whether I would have executed on it, I would like to say that I could have. But anyway, I watched him, and watched him, and watched him, and watched him. And then he decided to turn around, head back to the left, through the trees, and up the mountain. So I got to watch him. I got to have that awesome experience. And he just walked out of my life just like the other one did. <laughs> I just kind of laughed at myself. Because it was almost a... Uh, you know, they had gone quiet, but they hadn't left the mountain because of all the people and things blowing out the mountain. So I then checked my Garmin. I had a text from my wife saying that her and the kids, they had just prayed, the kids had prayed that dad would get an elk so he could come home. I was coming home either way, obviously, because it was the last day of general season and that's what I had planned on doing, but. I just kind of laughed because looking back 2020 hindsight being 2020 if I had sat where I was sitting when I had gotten that impression to sit here until shooter's light that bull would have walked out not 10 yards in front of me and I would have had a clear shot on him so I failed now I walked away from that experience and I still feel that I learned a lot. But honestly, I failed filling that tag now. There's an extended season that I will be doing and I am going to make sure that a bull drops this year. But I didn't do it within the time frame that I had originally set myself. So I failed. And that's okay. Failure is okay if you take it and learn from it. Just like Michael Jordan, I feel like, because this was my first archery season, I feel like what he was saying where I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I missed, personally, I missed a shot on a spike, and I missed many opportunities with bulls. I've lost almost 300 games. For me, it was 12 days that I spent. From before sunrise until after sunset, out in the out out in the mountains. Twenty six times I've been trusted to take the game winning shot and missed. Again, I missed that spike on first day, and I wasn't in where I needed to be for that last bull on the last night. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed, says Michael Jordan. So for me, I feel like within those twelve days, I learned a lot, but I failed a lot. And it was my first season, so you can chalk it up to and give all the excuses you want. But for me, I hold myself to a little bit higher standard, and I expected to fill a tag my first season with a bow. So it was a failure. But I walked away from that feeling even more excited to continue training and to be better and better and better and be even more ready for next year. 
and that's what I'm going to do. So I hope you enjoyed this story. I know it was a little bit longer today. Uh, there's more details, of course, and I'll be sharing them on Instagram as I go my day-by-day breakdown. But I wanted to share that with you, that just because you fail at something doesn't mean that you have to stop doing it. Just because Michael Jordan failed didn't mean he stopped taking shots. Didn't mean he stopped working on his game. He got better and better and better until he became who he is. And he's continued that in any other endeavors that he's had after his NBA career. I feel rejuvenated and that I'm going to be able to have learned from that experience and pass on those experiences to my kids, my friends, my family members, and I will become a better me because of that. Failure is part of life. It's a matter of how you take it that matters. Do you take it and turn it into success in the future? Or do you take it and say, you know, I could have thrown my bow down and said, I'm never bow hunting again. I hate this. This is dumb. But instead, I walked away from that even more excited to get ready for the next season. So I just want to share that with you guys today and I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Again, if you found something that you liked or appreciated from, from this, please share it with other people. I just want to get this message out there for others that they're not the only ones that are failing at things. They're not the only ones that are working to find success in their lives. We're in this journey together and uh, we're going to be, be better because of it. So thanks for tuning in today. I hope you have an amazing day. And as always, get out, live your life, and love it.